0: All right, good morning, church. Good to be with you guys today. Let me welcome all of our multi site campuses that are joining us right now and our online audience that's joining us. It is great to be with you as we dive into the Word of God today. This is going to be an awesome time. If you'll turn to the book of John, Uh, We're going to have a great time diving into another place in the scriptures. This is a famous place in the Bible. It's one of Jesus' great miracles that he did. But we're going to see some things about it today that maybe you have never seen. And hopefully it's going to deeply speak to all of us. So we go to John 5. We're going to begin there. This is Jesus. A lot of people believe this is Jesus' first truly public miracle. Uh, He had worked another miracle. He had worked the miracle of turning water into wine, but it was more private. This one's out in the open, you're gonna see. So, John 5 1 through 3 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, which would be people who are blind, lame, and paralyzed, people who are debilitated. They are sick in ways that are really, really harsh, really, really changing their lives. Now, a few things we need to get out of what we just read. First of all, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem with tons of other Jewish people because there's a feast. Now, John does not tell us which feast it is. It's just a feast which next week we're gonna study another time that Jesus went to Jerusalem, John writes about. So whenever there was a big feast, just like most of the Jews would, you go back to Jerusalem, okay? It was partay time, time to have some fun in Jerusalem, okay? Thousands on top of thousands, the, the, the city we flooded with people. One of the famous places in Jerusalem in these ancient times was the Pool of Bethesda. It was ornate. Some believe the Romans may have been the ones that actually built all of this. There were colonnades, there were these big columns. For a long time, they could not find this. Archaeologists couldn't find it, and they were like, hey, this doesn't look good because something this big and massive, we would find it. And so they started criticizing the Bible, and then sure enough, they were just digging in the wrong spot, and then they found this sheep gate that John talked about, and guess what they found next? The columns. They found the colonnades, and all of this is there right where they said it was, so you can believe your Bible, okay? So pretty amazing. You can go Google all that. They were much louder in their criticisms than they were their retractions, just a let you know, okay? And then at this place were all of these people. Now, why were all the sick people going there? Why did all the sick people go to these pools? Well, verse four, which is not in some of your Bibles, and it is in some of them, tells you why. And I wanna explain to you what's going on here. If you have an ESV, which I tend to use, verse four is not there. It goes three to five. Your NIV will have a four in it if you have an NIV version, but it probably has a footnote about it. Why is that? And this I love this, because you can, you can trust that God in His sovereignty has preserved His word. So when earlier versions of the English translations were done, the earliest manuscripts we had at the time had this verse four in it. Let's read what verse four says. It tells you why these people were there sick. They waited for the moving of the waters in the pool. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir up the waters, and the first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, let me help you understand what's going on here. When they started doing the ESV and some other versions of the Bible, they had found earlier manuscripts. So King James Version and some of that was done off of manuscripts, and then they found earlier ones to further... Uh, validate the Bible, and give us accuracy in our translations. And when they got these really old versions of John, like almost to the very original, they found that verse 4 was not there. And almost universally, scholars now believe that what happened was one of the translators was putting a footnote there to tell later people why sick people would run to the pool. Because there was a legend that an angel would come down and stir the water. And so they had this legend that if you got in the water, it would heal you. Two things going on here. The pools, they think, were fed by natural springs, which means every now and then they'd bubble. And when they would, sediment would pour in, which would change the color. So if you're an ancient world who's already superstitious, you go, that's magic. And there's an angel doing that. And so now you see why verse four is there or it's not there or there's a footnote with it because later translators were trying to let the audience in the future know, here's what people believed. Let me tell you, what this was, was a fake. This is not how God works. Do you think God would stir up water and then make a bunch of sick people race to see who got in quick enough? Does that sound like your God? So what most scholars now believe is the Bible is trying to clue you in on what was really going on here, Okay. And, and so what, what it tells us, though, is something I need to warn you about, that, uh, about today. Humans tend to fall for fakes. You do know that, right? We have a tendency to fall for fakes. We have a history of falling for fakes. Let me tell you a few of them. Okay, let me give you some of the history of this. This is President George Washington on his deathbed. Here's a picture of that. That's his doctor. His doctor doesn't know it, but he's actually killing him. George Washington's very sick. But they're making it worse because doctors in that time believed wrongly that you bled people to get them well. So they're literally cutting and bleeding George Washington to death thinking they're pulling the sickness out of him. And the first president of the United States was able to defeat the biggest army in, in the world, Britain, to get us freedom and found our country, but he couldn't beat that doctor who believed stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so they, we fall for this stuff, but we, we believed it and it killed George Washington. Some of you fell for this one right here. Biggest hoax in music history. (laughs) Smilly Vanilli. You don't know who they are if you're too young to remember 1988 to 1990. These guys took the music world by storm. Go to Spotify, pull up Girl, You Know It's True. You'll thank me later. It's very romantic. Uh, These guys were, uh, that's Grammy Awards they're holding, by the way. They won Grammys. And then it all came out that they were lip syncing. It wasn't even them singing. It was these folks in the studio. And uh, it's still a great album. Like, go listen. Anyway, it's good. We fell for it, though. It's a hoax. Not only that, back in the 1800s, this became uh, a big deal. Snake oil salesman. Look at him. He's like, just drink this, man. You'll be fine. And people, all it was was colored water, and this was a big deal, and it was before the FDA could get into this stuff, and, and so anyone could sell this stuff, and it didn't help you at all, but they said it would cure everything. If you're sick, snake oil, and that's why we have that statement that we say, that's a snake oil salesman. Well, that was a real thing at one time. Here's another one, because... I can't, like there's stuff y'all are buying now that doesn't work, but some of you sell it, so I don't want to make you mad. So I, I, got, I went back. All right. So I, I'm sorry. I love you, but like, I didn't want to make anyone mad. So I said, all my examples have to be from the past. Uh, so, you know, that I keep my job and stuff. You know what I mean? So here we go. So this is from the seventies and everybody fell for this and it was called the vision dieter. Now what they claimed is that let's say you're about to eat a meal. You put these on and the hue, the, 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 the color of the lens would make you not as hungry. It would make the food not look as good. I'm going to be honest with y'all. You can put any color lens you want on me. Big Mac still tastes good, man. You know what I'm saying? You're not, you're not hurting the cheeseburger anyway. And people believed it and they bought it and it didn't help them. They're like, you know what? It was a fake. Here's one more for us. This is a modern day one. That is Clay Thompson, one of the best basketball players and best shooters in history. He's also a world champion. They won the world championship this year. The guy on the right is fake Clay Thompson. Fake Clay Thompson is the exact size. He looks just like him. He's learned to shoot like him. And what he did to have fun is fake Clay Thompson has like over 10 times gotten into the stadium, made security believe he was Clay Thompson. Several times he even warmed up with the team. They did not know. He's out there shooting rounds. He is now banned from the stadium. If he shows up, he goes to jail. Fake Clay Thompson. Can you imagine being the security team that's like, we thought it was him. It wasn't him. So you got to tip your hat to that guy, right? We tend to fall for stuff. The problem is all of these sick people are falling for a fake as well. They're waiting for water to boil that's not going to help them at all anyway. The problem is we all do this. We place our hope in things that can't help us. We hang our hope on things that can't save us, can't, and it just can't do what it says it'll do. And let me tell you what happens. When we misplace our hope, we end up hopeless. That's what happens. There's nothing more disappointing than placing your hope in something that doesn't come through. Can you imagine how hard it was for people to think, ooh, this snake oil will help me, and they figured out it didn't. And can you imagine the many people who ended up in the waters of Bethesda that it didn't help them? But the legend held strong that if we just can get in that water. You know what? God does not want that for us as Christians. So first of all today, if you are buying into the snake oil of the world, and by that I mean you're placing your hope in stuff that can't save you, that can't help you. If you're doing that, listen to what Ephesians 4.13 wants for you, says for you. It says this, Until we all attain the unity of the faith, so obviously this is for Christians, And of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, this is where we need to be focused. We need to know God more through Jesus and his word and his gospel. And here's what it does. It matures us to what we call Christian adulthood, manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We want to become more like Jesus. Now look at the result. If I grow up in Jesus, here will be the result. The result is that we will no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or by craftiness or deceitful schemes. In other words, God does not want you to fall for stupid stuff, seriously. God wants you to believe his word and to be able to look at it and go, now that's not real, now that's not true. Like we can go, we know that God wouldn't have set up a race for sick people to try to jump in a pool. That's not even who he is. But yet we'll go believe stuff now. Believe all kind. I am blown away sometimes what my Christian brothers and sisters will fall for, will believe. That you really believe that was going to work out the way you thought it would. That you really believe that that was going to work, that that was going to help you. And I don't just mean snake oil salesman and listening to Millie Vanilli on an afternoon. I'm talking about when you really thought doing sexuality your way was going to work out good. When you really thought going down that road was going to end differently than it has for every other person who's ever gone down that road, but you thought you were gonna work that thing differently, that it was gonna be a different story for you, and it wasn't. I just look and I go, why do we keep drinking the snake oil of the world when we have real hope and we can be mature and strong in Christ and in the truth? So Jesus shows up and that's what's going on. John 5, 5 through 6 says, though in the middle of that crowd was one man, He had been there and he had been an invalid for 38 years. Couldn't walk. That's a long time. When Jesus, and I love this, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now let's just unpack that for just a moment. The first thing we see is how long the guy had been there. He'd been there a long time. Let me tell you what happens. If you've been somewhere for 38 years, that's now your comfort zone even though it's horrible. It's who you are now. That was his home. He had a spot that was his spot, where his mat was. This is where he laid every day, hoping to get in that water. He'd never gotten in the water, at least first, which is what you had to do to get any kind of healing according to the legend. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be careful, guys, that we don't allow our misery to become our comfort zone in any sense. Don't allow misery to become your comfort zone. And if you don't think that's possible, watch the show Hoarders on TV. And if you've ever watched it, you go, why are you living this way? And the reason they won't break out of it is because they are comfortable with it. And before we start busting on the hoarders, people, let me just say, many of us in this room will not take a step to fix our marriage because at least we're comfortable in the misery. We just go, well, this is the way it's gonna be. Well, this is the way my family's gonna be. Family's a mess and you go, well, this is just kind of who we are. Kind of who we are. It's kind of how our marriage is. We don't like each other, but at least we're together. That is love right there, isn't it? That's <laughs> what we were all hoping for. Many of us walk in misery. Let me tell you what'll happen. What'll happen if you keep laying around, walking around, wallowing around in your misery, whatever area of your life that you find it if you keep doing that you'll wake up one day and it'll be 38 years later and it's who you are now it's you it's your story and you've just let it go and go and go what I love is that Jesus does not just see a crowd of people he sees the guy who needs it more than anyone see Jesus knows your story and he wants to change it I love that the Bible says out of all those people Jesus knew him Jesus walks in, there he is, walks right over to him. He knows the guy that's been there the longest, that's never gotten to the water first to realize that it was just Milly Vanilli. (laughs) That it was just lip syncing. It was just snake oil. He's never gotten there, so he's still believing if he could just get there, Right? Jesus saw him and I love that. So many of you in this room and in all of our rooms and online, you think in this big world, I just don't matter. I'm a blip on the radar screen of humanity. That is not true of Jesus and you. He knows you. He knows your pain. He knows what you are going through. He knows your fears, your anxieties, the thing that's facing you. He knows intimately your thing and my thing that we're all dealing with. And I love that about Jesus. Not only that, I love that he comes and meets the guy where he is. He doesn't taunt him. Notice, he does not say, hey man, you know what you need? You need more tricep exercises so that you can drag yourself over to the pool. So he doesn't offer himself improvement. That's not what he's gonna do here. He's gonna offer something greater. He wants to change his story. He doesn't want it to stay the same. If your marriage is in a mess, God wants to change that. And he can change that. He has the power to change that. And if your internal spiritual life is a mess, he has the tools to change that and wants to. But if you keep running to bubbly water instead of to Jesus, if you keep running to a million other things to try to change things instead of Jesus, you're gonna keep coming up empty-handed. And we run to all kinds of bubbly water, don't we? We all have our pool of Bethesda. We think, if I can just make enough money... You know how many miserable rich people I know? Right? Because you know, if you're miserable and you get rich, now you're just miserable with a bunch of money. You're just miserable with more toys. Miserable on a nicer boat. Miserable in a bigger house. Miserable with a more expensive dog. You know? Nicer car. Misery, it knows no bounds. So we find all kinds of bubbly water to run to. If I could just have this relationship... So we jump if we could just do this and we we become consumers of bubbly water. And bubbly water never really changes your life, does it? Only Jesus can and he offers himself. See the gospel in the truest sense, the gospel itself is the true story that changes our story. His story changes our story. It changes families for generations. It changes your biggest mistakes into your testimony. It changes your biggest obstacles into your biggest victories. This is what Jesus does when we'll come to him. This is a message of hope today. For all of us, and we all have, who have fallen into the snake oil trap, we now have hope to go, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Just come to Jesus. He can change your life. I love that anonymity stops at the feet of Jesus. You are not anonymous with Jesus. You're not forgotten, you're not invisible, you're not just one of the crowd. You matter to him, every little piece of you, every little part of your life matters to Jesus. So Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? And I find that initially to be a bit insensitive. Would you like to walk again? Be like, Jesus, for real? That seems so harsh. Jesus is asking the question because, remember, Jesus knows this man. See, what you see is a sick guy lying on a mat. What you don't know is that Jesus sees a man who's comfortable on the mat. Jesus sees a man who now, that's who he is. This is his place. This is his norm it's his life. It's his default mode. It's what the computer system of his life just goes back to. This is just who I am. I'm gonna drag myself around on this ground until I die trying to get in that pool is who I am. Begging for a little bread, begging for a little money. I'm just a beggar who can't walk. This is who I'm always gonna be. So Jesus looks at him and says, I need to know. Do you want to be healed? Because you're not going the direction where healing is. That's not gonna do it. The sick man answered him interestingly, Sir. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. In other words, a couple of things here. First of all, notice he does not say, Yes, I wanna be healed. Do you wanna be healed? The answer should have been, Does Billy Graham have a quiet time? Wait, Billy Graham wasn't born yet. We're talking ancient, my bad. Does the sun rise every day? Yes, I wanna be healed. He doesn't say that. Instead, he tells him his sad victim story. I, I would be healed if people didn't keep getting in my way. It's just who I am. I'm comfortable. This is who I am. If I could just get to the pool. Notice that the one who can heal him is standing in front of him. And yet this guy looks right past real hope to the thing that can't do anything for him. The thing, the person that can change his life is standing right in front of him and he's gonna look right through him to a pool that offers nothing. Isn't that a picture of humanity? We'll run to a million different wells before we come to the well that never runs dry of Jesus. We'll try a million different things before we finally come and surrender and go, okay, gotcha. It's like when I was a kid and I'd wrestle my dad, my dad had this thing where he's like, you are going to say... I'm your daddy. That's going to be it. Who's your daddy? I'm your daddy. And I would try everything. And my dad had been a police officer. It wasn't fair. He was like Rambo with tools, you know. And he was an MMA fighter before they had MMA. He had learned all this stuff. He had prep. My dad could make me beg for mercy by just like grabbing me right here. And so there'd be a moment where no matter what happened, I'd finally go, you're my daddy. You're my daddy. What's that? Say it louder. You're my daddy. Right? Right? Life will do that to you where finally we look at him and we go, all the other things I've tried, I need you. And that's what Jesus is trying. 38 years, man, do you want to be healed? It's an offer that the man literally can't. Charles Spurgeon says this, the people who were around that pool, they were so taken with their own way that the true way was neglected. The true way was totally neglected. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It's the way to death. Our way, the things we chase, the things that we think will give us hope, they just can't do what Jesus can do for us. So look what Jesus says to him. John 5, 8 through 9, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, And he took up his bed and walked. And then John wants you to remember a detail. Now this day was the Sabbath. Meaning that Jesus just broke the rules and the man has just broken the rules of the Sabbath. Not the Bible rules. The Pharisee rules. Because the Bible didn't say you couldn't pick up your mat on Sunday. On Sabbath. The the Pharisees had their own book. It was called the Mishnah. Which translated means you can't have any more fun. I think a lot of modern churches have had the same one. They had that same book. They just slap other labels on it, you know? But we all have our book. Like, God said this, but we're going to say this. Make sure no one has any fun. We're as grumpy as we possibly can be. Come to church, be grumpy, and not have fun like us, you know? And so here comes Jesus, and he's turning water into wine and bringing people joy. And then on the Sabbath, that was supposed to be the grumpiest of grumpy days, Jesus does this. It's the Sabbath. But notice that he tells, look, Jesus heals him. Now, this is a picture of the gospel in a physical sense. So Jesus is doing physically what the gospel does spiritually. He looks at the man and does what no one can do for the man but him, and the man can't do for himself. He heals him. So the man is instantly healed, which means his body can work now. But then Jesus says, with this thing he's given him, you get up now, pick up your mat, and walk. In other words, get off the mat. I've given you the tools now. You can get off the mat, get off the mat. Can you imagine if the guy said, woo, this is nice, my legs work now. But I like my mat. I like staying here on the bed, on the mat. This is my place, man. Everybody knows me here. They high-five me when they go by. They don't help me into the water, but I'm comfortable in my misery. Mm -mm. Jesus said, no, no, you get up. You get up and you walk. That's what I want you to do. Believers, I want you to understand this about us and what Jesus does for us. He saves us. We can't do that for ourselves, but then he empowers us to live the Christian life. In other words, we, want to, we need to get off the mat. If you're a Christian, the mat's not where you're supposed to be. I grew up watching Rocky movies. Remember Rocky? Yo, Adrian, you know what I mean? He gets beat up in the ring. And I love, remember the the old guy that in the first two or three movies was his manager? Was that Mickey? Was that his name? And oh boy, he was mean. He just looked like he was a mean guy, right? But he loved Rocky. And there's always that moment where Rocky's on the mat and you can see him. There he is. Like the camera goes in and there's Mickey. He's so mad. And he's saying, get up. Off the mat, get up. And he's just screaming at Rocky. And you know, if I'm Rocky, I'm like, won't you get in here and fight Mr. T? Look at him. He's huge, you know? (laughs) But no, Mickey wants him off the mat. And I think that's for us as Christians. Listen, the Sabbath, look at what the Pharisees had done. They had made the Sabbath the grumpiest of grumpy days for everyone, right? Right? Jesus comes in and says, no, no, no. He's the one that said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath should be a day where people look at other people in the name of Jesus and we say, get up off the mat and walk. Like This is a place we come to for healing, and I mean in the deepest way, right? I want Three Circle to be a place at all of our campuses week after week where we look at people and say in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, we say to people, you don't have to live in misery anymore. We can show you the way to true healing, the deepest kind. We look at marriages and we say, you know what? You can get up off the mat and walk. We look at children and families we go, you know what? This can be restored in the name of Jesus. We are going to be a church that says, get up off the mat and walk. That's the vision of Three Circle Church. That's what we want. So Jesus says, get up and walk. And of course, he does. When I was planning this series, I was talking. So my sister-in-law is an ISR instructor. I don't know if, if you know anything. It, this is a fascinating thing. She's a big-time swimmer. She loves to teach people how to swim. And then she became an ISR instructor. She was telling me the statistics, and then I realized, man, i gotta, I got to get this into the water series because I didn't know that one through four-year-olds in our country, the number one cause of death is accidental drowning. I did not know that. And I didn't know that in Alabama, Roll Tide War Eagle, we're number six on the list. Number six in Alabama of accidental deaths, and it typically happens because of a lapse of supervision. Okay, What she does and what these people do now is they instruct Babies, like babies, before they can talk. So, baby shows up and he's just like, "Ah, I can't even talk, right? And yet, they teach these babies. They give them the tools. They do for the baby what no one, like, the baby couldn't do this on their own. They didn't just come out able to do this. They teach, they give them tools, though, to flip over in the water and get to air. It is amazing. And then, as I was talking to her about it, the parallels between the Christian life and what they're teaching these kids was unbelievable. Just like this where Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you healing. Now you walk. I'm giving you the tools. Walk. Live. They do that with babies. In fact, I want you to hear her tell you about how these two things parallel. Check it out.
1: Hi, my name is Jill Phillips and I attend the Fair Hope campus at Three Circle Church. I'm also a certified ISR instructor and this is my office. An ISR instructor is certified to teach infants as young as six months old all the way to six years old to self-rescue. When a child initially comes to me in the water, there are a lot of emotions. I'm a new person, this is a new environment, and I'm making them do things that is new to them and might be uncomfortable. When they start their lessons, they may be kicking and splashing and getting water in their face, which it's not a great position to be able to relax and get air, and that's what my job is to do, is to show them where rest is, where air is. Um, they may be screaming and crying, and that's depleting their lungs, airs, which is another way that a child will float, is to be relaxed and have lungs full of air. And so we give them the tools they need so that whenever they do enter the water, that they know what to do, how to do that rotation, how to hold their breath, all the things that they need in order to be successful. In the same way that I teach these children every day in the water, God teaches us and he gives us the tools we need to live the Christian life. Through prayer, his word, the Holy Spirit, he's given us the tools that we need if we encounter any kind of problem in our lives. Years ago, we were in Disney, one of the happiest places on earth with our family and we were all swimming. And all of a sudden we couldn't find my youngest son, Nolan. And the fear that came upon me as the lifeguard blew the whistle to clear the pool to search for him is like nothing a parent wants to hear. But the great thing about the Christian life is that we don't have to fear that we have God, we have his word, we have him to, to guide us. The great thing is that Nolan was fine. He was just in the bathroom. But the fear that I felt, I don't want another parent to have to go through that fear. And that is why I'm passionate about teaching children the tools they need in order to be able to save themselves in the water. In the same way, God doesn't want us to fear. He's actually given us the tools we need so we don't have to fear. So be encouraged today.
0: Mm, yes, it's fascinating to see how they do this, and I was thinking about the fact that God has given us tools as well to not have to be afraid, to not have to succumb to the culture, to not have to succumb to the waters that we deal with. No, we're not. We're not living off a of snake oil here, man. We've been given the power—the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The Bible says is in us by the power of the Spirit. We can live the Christian life because of what Jesus has done for us. The problem is, is that we often go everywhere else but him. Now I want to show you the end of this story because we we got a couple of things wrong here and we're going to put the the verse up here. It is John 5 but somehow John 7 got on your handout. So if you look to the screens you can notate it on your handout. Here's what happened next. So the guy picks up his bed and the Pharisees get mad at him, of course. They're like, hey, you can't do that on, on the Sabbath. And he's You know, you can imagine, he's having a real hard time even listening to them. He's, I don't know if you notice this, I can walk, you know, and they're all mad. And then they say, well, who did this? Who did this for you? And Jesus has stepped into this massive crowd. He has disappeared into the crowd. So the guys can't find him, and they keep telling, who is it? And so that whole interchange happens, and then the guy's walking out, the way Jesus told him to, and Jesus finds him. And it says, now the man who had been healed did not who, know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Look at the next verse. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and look at this interchange. Jesus, first of all, celebrates. He says, see, you are well. The exclamation mark there is telling you, Jesus is like, look at you. Look at you, big guy. Awesome moment, right? But then he says this, sin no more. In other words, that's important, but what's more important is your heart. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, you look at that and you go, is Jesus threatening him? No, no, Jesus is saying, if you think paralysis of your legs is bad, you can't imagine what living the rest of your life without me, without knowing me, without walking with me. Paralysis of your heart, your spiritual life is way worse. That's what he's saying. And church, let me tell you today, I, if you are dealing with some kind of physical infirmity or whatever, I don't know if God, he can, I don't know if he will heal you, but here's what I know he will heal in your life is your spiritual life, your spiritual, your soul. He will do that, but you got to bring it to him. Your marriages, your families, that's the kind of work God wants to do in your life. Today, we want that for you as well. As our team comes, here's what we're going to do at every campus. We're just going to have a time of prayer because what we want you to do is stop walking to the bubbly water and walk to Jesus. Bring your stuff to Jesus today. And if you'll stand all over this room and all of our rooms at all of our campuses, if you're able, if you'll stand. There's two things we're going to do. Right now, some of our leaders are going to be here for you to pray with in the next few moments. They're going to sing a song. I want you to come down and pray. What have you been holding back? What are you allowing to overwhelm you instead of trusting the tools God's given you? But secondly, if you notice, that man had always wanted someone to take him to the water. Do you see that? And today we wanted to do something unique. If you know someone in this room who you know needs prayer, you know they're going through a lot, I'm going to ask you today, we never do this, I want you to go to them. And I either want you to pray for them where they're standing or grab their hand and bring them down here with you to pray. I want us to do that today. If you know someone in this room who you love, even if it's your spouse, I want us to pray for one another as well. And then our team is here to pray with you as well. Let's, let's go to Lord, Lord, Lord. I pray that when I say amen on this prayer, Father, that you would draw people to you at every campus so that we can find true healing. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You come.